I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Lou. On this week's episode, we have two guests. First, we have Ryan Sidhu, who was the director of the True North uh, docuseries. Uh, it came out first as a series in 2018 and has now been re-released as a full-length feature film uh, by the National Film Board of Canada. Ryan and I talked about sort of um, the factors that go into um, development uh, of players at a grassroots level and sort of, um, you know, the complications that come with that. Uh, In the second half of the episode, I'm joined by uh, King Nation AAU coach Vidal Masai, who was one of the coaches featured in Ryan's True North project. Uh, Vidal and I talked uh, more definitely about um, sort of what goes into creating a player, what goes into developing a player. And then we talked a lot about also just the history of basketball in Toronto and sort of the factors that are really led uh, and fed into it. So uh, it's definitely not a Raptors-focused episode. Uh, if you are looking for that, then this is probably not the one for you. But I really do think it's valuable to get some perspective as to, um, you know, just to broaden your horizon, right? Basketball is much bigger than just the Raptors. is much bigger than just the NBA. It's uh, so many different things. And especially when you look at, um, you know, here in Canada, we talk so much about the growth of basketball. What does that mean? And what does that mean on a tangible level? And what does that mean on a grassroots level? So uh, I think this is a, you know, first and foremost, I think you should go watch True North. It's available on YouTube uh, and other places. Um, but, you know, I also think that, look, this is just a very, very interesting look. For me, as a diehard basketball fan, I love talking to these two guys. So without further ado, first, we talked to Ryan, and then second, we talked to Vidal. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Sidhu, creator and director of the docuseries True North by the National Film Board of Canada. Ryan, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me and, and showing love for the film. Yeah, for sure. So uh, first off, I just finished watching this um, for a second time, the 90-minute version. So the history here is that in 2018, it first came out as a series. There's uh, nine episodes. And uh, now it's being re-released as sort of a 90-minute um, feature. Uh, for me, you know, especially with this fresh in my mind, to me, it was a very raw, it was a very open, very honest, very intimate um, look at sort of um, how Canada basketball got to this point and as told by, you know, a certain number of players. Um you know, we always talk about uh, how Canada basketball is on the rise. And, you know, I looked it up this year. There's been 22 Canadian uh, NBA players, which is just an incredible number. It's the highest outside of any country outside the United States. But um, we don't really think as much about what goes into it, how these players get there, who are the players, um, you know, who are the people around them. And I think that's what your um, documentary does. But l- let me just ask you in your words, like, what is True North about? I think True North is, I mean, I think the film 
takes you beyond the headline of Canada's having a basketball renaissance. I think, you know, the last five years we've, we've read the articles about a lot of Canadians making the NBA or having an impact um, at the division one level. But for me, I was really interested in, in answering the question, well, how did this happen? Why do some players get there? Why others don't? And kind of looking at it from the grassroots scene more more from the ground up rather than top down so that's kind of um how how i approached it and you know the film how it came together was following five five young kids and their families within the grassroots scene of of toronto basketball which is really the epicenter and mecca of basketball in canada right for sure so uh, for you um you know how did this how did this documentary come about? Uh, why did you want to t- make this project? It's, it's evident from anyone who watches it that like it, a lot of time and effort and it's a, it's a labor of love and things like that. So what, what inspired you to make it and how did it come about? Well, I think, you know, people, I've obviously people ask me this question a lot, but it's like, I was always going to make this film. If you knew who I was, right. If growing up for me, basketball, my household was so important. Um, as was filmmaking, right? I, my parents exposed me to to the arts, to film, to documentaries. You know, at the same time, my dad was a diehard Laker fan. Um, you know, I I grew up in, in a Laker household very much. I mean, I actually grew up in Vancouver, and you know, when when the Grizzlies came, that was also exciting. But it was it was Lakers through and through. Um, so those two things, just growing up with a steady dose of basketball, steady dose of exposure to documentary film, um, you know, just kind of in my blood to, you know, eventually when I matured and, and I knew I wasn't going to make the NBA and, and my basketball dreams, uh, <laughs> uh, quickly. Yeah, what ended. was the exact moment where you figured out you were going to be in the NBA? Uh, yeah, to, to be honest with you, like after doing true North, uh-huh. they're just like the kids now believe, I think that's the biggest okay. thing. There's so many models of, uh, guys from the neighborhood, guys from the program that are in the NBA. So it seems really feasible. Mm-hmm. And I think for a kid growing up in the nineties, uh, especially on the West coast, like I knew, like I knew people who like maybe played at UBC and that was like a big deal. Right. right so right. you just weren't dreaming that big. It was just ball was just something that you kind of um, played mm-hmm. and you, know, you played in high school and, and that was kind of it, you know, weren't dreaming like how the kids in the film are dreaming now. So um you know, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to be involved in basketball and, and how could I, how could I do that? Right. And, you know, some people are writers, some people become GMs. And, and for me, it was, um, it was using the, the vehicle of film to be involved with basketball. So um, once I made that decision, it was just kind of hustling the project and, and wanting to, um, you know, tell, tell the story of basketball in Canada and eventually linked up with, uh, the national film board and, and then Red Bull got involved a little bit later and, and the series was made. Right. So it wasn't um, that easy. I mean, it took a long time, but I was going to uh, say it, it, it the, the way you describe it, of course, everything makes sense, but I'm sure, you know, there was so many steps and hurdles you guys got to get through to make uh, to this point where it, you know, it, it's it, out. It, it took years. I mean, it took years of getting the funding. Um, you know, first I was actually shopping the idea in the States um, and then, you know, I, I re tinkered it because I thought what was going on in Canada at the time was more interesting and, and really more current 
mm-hmm. you know, seeing all these guys go D1 and then, you know, then a lot of guys were getting drafted. So I, I kind of reshaped the focus of the story. Um, but, you know, but then I, once I took it to the film board, they have a very methodical development process. So, which was great because I just got to spend time in gyms for like a year finding out which stories I wanted to tell. And then, you know, then eventually you start filming and then you get into the edit. So it was really, um, it was a very uh, long grind, you know, like kind of classic, like 82 game season plus playoffs to put it in basketball terms, but, but it was worth it. Right. For sure. So, um, you know, one of the questions that I had, one of the questions uh, that kind of drew me to watching this project in the first place was what does it take to have someone make it from Canada? Um, what is making it even mean? I think it's a question that you've, you've sort of asked in the project itself, but um, to you, what is, what does it take for someone to make it in Canada? What does that mean? Right. Um, that whole question was something I kind of grappled with while, mm-hmm. while doing the film, like what is making it, um, you know, and, and I asked the kids that question too. So I think by the traditional sense, making it means making it, making it to the league. Um, and I think Liebert, who's a uh, Cordell's father, one of the characters in the film, he says it best, you know, he's like, you know, it's even to get into the lottery of the NBA draft is a lottery. And it, it truly is. There's, there's um, obviously the raw talent, but sometimes the raw talent won't take you there. It's, it's a very grassroots basketball is very political. It's very much about your relationships, um, the people around you, uh, do they have your best interest at hand? So, you know, there's, there's really talented people that slip through the cracks because of, you know, the support system they had, you know, wasn't, wasn't the best fit or, you know, they made the wrong decision of which school to go to, or they should have gone to a prep school or they should have stayed home. Like there's all these variables mm-hmm. to actually, you know, get to the point where you're being considered um, to be a draft pick. Um, but then you look at Chris Boucher and like, you know, his story, you know, took so many dips and turns and, and now he's contributing to the Raptors. So um, I would say that, you know, talent is, is only a part of it. There's so many other political, sadly, political reasons why people get to the next level uh, or they don't. Um, and I think for me, you know, this idea of making it, it's on everyone's mind from 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And, and because of the political nature of grassroots basketball and, and kind of the business of basketball, a lot of kids at 16 might not make it right. And and they feel like a failure. But for me, it was like, well, what is making it? I mean, I feel I made it because I got paid from basketball to make a film. Maybe you feel you've made it because, you know, you, you have a job talking about hoops and, and, and that's your career. So I think, redefining what making it is, is, is very important. And I, and I hope that basketball as an industry and a community, you see it more and more, but are, are telling kids that like, you know, it's okay to be a GM. It's okay to be a coach. Like that's making it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because odds are you're probably not going to make the NBA. Right. For sure. Um, you know, you, you talked about sort of the politics behind it. What does that, what does that mean? What does that entail? Well, you know, the, the player is a commodity. Um, and, and you know, this project actually kind of hurt my relationship, I guess. Not with the game. I love the game of basketball. I love, you know, pick and roll and backdoor passes and all that. But um, 
you know, kind of jaded my, um, jaded my view of the industry basketball, the shoe companies, the NBA, these mega corporations that control the game. Um, and it's, it's political because, you know, kids now at 12 years old are seen as a commodity because potentially they might be a Nike athlete or, you know, Adidas athlete one day, and there's potentially a million dollars at stake. So, you know, what happens is people's um, interests kind of get um, compromised by this, you know, uh, kind of carrot uh, being dangled that, that could be millions and millions of dollars. So um, all of a sudden you have, you know, it, it trickles down, right? Because, you know, if there's millions of dollars, you know, at the NBA level or, or at the shoe level, um, you know, that, that trickles down to the grassroots level and, and maybe coaches or adults positioning themselves to get a payday and, and not doing what's in the interest of the kid. Maybe it's an in interest of getting a shoe contract. If you're an amateur team and, and want to go to the competitive shoe circuits, maybe it's in the interest. Well, if I feed this kid to this school, you know, maybe they're going to bring me on as an assistant coach, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a total trickle down effect from all of the money down to the level of, of youth basketball and, and, you know, the integrity of the game gets compromised when you're dealing with 12, 13, 14 year old kids. And, and that's really painful. It's really painful to see. And, and for me, you know, it, it, uh, I guess, uh, really made my relationship with, with how I view pro sports. Um, it, it challenged it and it was really difficult. And to be honest with you, it wasn't until, um, Kobe passed that I kind of reengaged with the NBA, NBA in a way to kind of like heal from that because that kind of really impacted me. But but I didn't watch basketball or the NBA for for quite a while after this, like almost a year. Right, right, and you know I think this is why you know projects like yours is important. And I'm not even saying this to gas you up, but it's like it's not seen as much, right? Like the um, what goes into just how these these players get to even positions of, you know, making it to um, D1 and, and maybe beyond and playing professionally and things like that. Like, um, you know, I guess when we, whenever we think about grassroots levels, it, it should be, it should be sacred in a way, you know what I mean? They're kids playing sports and it's like the, the simplest thing and the kids have passions, they have dreams and sort of uh, up to sort of, um, you know, the support systems they have in their lives to, to actualize that. But um but yeah, I mean, you know, even something, you know, as you mentioned with a shoe contract, this is sort of touched on briefly in the series, but, um, you know, to explain that, you know, like what, what, what is a, what does a shoe contract mean to a team, for example, and right. how does that relate to the player? So you have, you have high school basketball, which is, um, I think everyone kind of understands how high school basketball works and, and, um, you know, D1 coaches and, and people still scout high school basketball, but now what's kind of become more prominent is, you know, at one time was called AAU basketball, but it's really just travel basketball. And, um, you know, there's various travel teams within Canada, in the States. And the question is, where do they play? Well, if you're really, really good, the shoe companies have elite leagues. So Nike has the EYBL, Adidas has the gauntlet, Under Armour has um, the UA circuit. So there's um, a finite amount of teams that get invited to these circuits and why do you want to go to these circuits? It's because one, if you get invited, you get paid. The shoe company will pay for flights, um, you know, gear, the kids want all the gear. 
you know, NBA players are going to be there. But most importantly, all of the top D1 coaches are going to be at, you know, Nike, EYBL, Adidas Gauntlet, and the, and the Under Armour circuit. So all of a sudden, you have youth coaches um, who are fighting to get those shoe contracts. And how do you get the shoe contract? Well, you have to have the best kids. So the kids then become the commodity. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of program hopping and, and promising. So, you know, the shoe companies kind of indirectly warp the, the youth landscape because everyone's kind of going bonkers for um, these shoe contracts and the money because it's also very expensive to fund um, a travel team and, and to do it the right way. So, um, you know, and that being said, there's programs and, and some of the programs in the film are very well run. Um, you know, but there's other programs who, you know, might be motivated by money more so than in the shoe contract, more so than the, um, the interest of the kid. Right. Right. And I think, you know, when we talk about these things, um, these are decisions made for kids on behalf of kids. And, um, you know, when I was watching this thing, what really struck me was just the, the, the magnitude of the decisions that some of these kids had to make from such an early age. And um, yeah, like if, when I was 15, 16, I wasn't deciding on anything that serious other than like how many hours I'm going to spend on MSN messenger. Like it's, you know, it really wasn't um, that big of a deal, but yeah, like these kids are making such, you know, big life decisions where they're going to go to prep school, what teams they're going to be playing for sort of, um, you know, how they can chase this dream. And from such an early age, really, you see, um, you know, the, these decisions having to be made. And um, really, uh, just, just going back to the series, like, uh, how did you decide on, you know, the three coaches that you end up featuring and the five players uh, that are on their teams? How did you decide on these, uh, these people? Um, it was really just through, I mean, first was research and phone calls. Um, some programs I called and, and they, um, you know, they, they didn't want anything to do with me. You know, a lot of people don't want a camera around the program and, and that's fine. So, um, yeah, it's totally understandable, but I wanted to show, cause I think everyone usually with Canadian basketball, they always talked about the best programs. Like you, you heard a lot about CI bounce, right. Cause mm-hmm. of Wiggins and, and they were kind of established. So, you know, I knew there was a lot on them, um, you know, kind of looking at that more elite AAU uh, echelon, but you know, I found Northern Kings a really interesting program, led by Vidal Messiah because they were they were a bit more upstart, they're a bit more in their infancy, but still elite. So I wanted to to follow a team that was you know on the cusp of getting a shoe deal and, and what those pressures were like. Um, then to completely contrast that, I wanted to show uh, a real underdog program like a Toronto Basketball Academy led by Vidal and, and where Cordell plays. Um, just because, you know, their situation is, is unique in the fact that they want to provide the same platform for their kids, um, you know, as the CIA bounces is, is all of these elite programs, but they're doing it on, you know, a shoestring budget. And I kind of wanted to, to see, you know, what, what, what that looked like and, and how really young guys running a program, you know, navigated that landscape. And, and I, and I thought their story had, a lot of heart and it was very emotional and, and maybe because it was a bit less of a corporate feel to the program, it really felt like a, a brotherhood. And then, um, you know, I don't think you could tell, you know, the Toronto basketball story without Ro Russell and, and, and what he's brought to the table. 
Um, and especially him kind of, um, you know, mentoring and bringing up Elijah. That was just, that was just a, a, a really interesting narrative of past and present kind of coming together. So I, I thought, you know, in the end, all three programs really showed, um, you know, you can't show every program, but I hope these provided a, a range of, you know, the programs you see in the landscape today. Right. And I, and I think it's, you know, interesting. I don't know if you could have planned this ahead of time, but, you know, um, there's, there's sort of a range of outcomes for the players, right? It's, we're not just following um, uh, necessarily all success stories in the, in the traditional sense of what is success, like going to D1 or going all the way to the pros and stuff like that. Like, I think you see a range of it, which is, which is nice. Um, you know, in terms of, in terms of the, the players themselves, um, you know, obviously, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I cover a lot of NBA subjects and I think obviously NBA is covered like extensively and in, in, in great detail, but you know, some of these people might not necessarily know who these players are. And so, um, you know, just for the five players, I mean, just give me a, a scouting report on the five players, describe their game. You know what I mean? Um, well, what, what, I'll, what I'll say is this, I'll say, you know, the five players, um, you know, you have Elijah Fisher, which a lot of people know about who, right. who some people, you know, kind of see him as, is the next big thing out of Canada. Um, and there's, uh, you know, he's coached by Roe Russell and then within the Northern Kings, uh, program who was you know Elijah being the youngest Northern Kings you had three players there you had Jalen Celestine who's uh you know six six no six six now but oh okay and a you know smooth lefty great shooter you had a a kid who sprouted up to six eight named Malachi Ender who um uh was from a small town and you know kind of true to AAU basketball you know was just kind of discovered and then thrust onto the scene and is playing in the bio steel all Canada game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you kind of had Keon Davis, who was the, the Kyle Lowry of yeah. that world who, who really is just as the heart of a lion. Um, and then uh, in the Toronto basketball Academy, um, the graduating senior was Cordell Vera, who was just kind of gritty six, four, you know, real team leader type. But what, what I will say is I kind of have a, a problem. You know, a lot of these guys now are, are, going on to to d1 schools and things like that and we could talk about that but you know at the time you know they're still in high school and especially elijah's still in high school like i have a bit of a problem with people ranking and scouting kids at at such a young age Uh, i think that's a big issue and and creates a lot of problems especially if kids don't meet the potential or they blossom later and you're you're putting this ranking on them so you know i don't want to sit here and kind of scout their game or even at you know, them, them going into the first year university, a few of these guys, there's so much growth mm-hmm. and, and who knows what's going to happen. They're all very talented, but what I think it's lost in, um, what I think it's lost in scouting kids and ranking kids is uh, the fact that they're human beings. And what I will say about all five of these kids is that um, they're, there's, you know, far better behave than I was when I was a kid and going through things that yeah. um, I, I can only imagine. And I was just very impressed, not only by these five kids, but most of the kids that I met in this, like I was just impressed at how mature they were, how they handled pressure, um, you know, their manners, the respect. And I think that kind of gets lost, especially in the social media era where, oh, wow, did you see, you know, Jalen Green, you know, dunked on this guy? Like, did you see this kid do that? And it's like, no one really talks about, 
the fact that these are like really amazing, talented kids that are going to be fine with or without basketball. So I know that's a, a, a kind of roundabout way of asking your question, but um, that's that's how I kind of feel about it. Like they're they're just great human beings with or with or without their basketball talents. Right. No, I think that's completely fair. I think that's completely fair. Um, you know, you already kind of touched on this already, but sort of did your you know, your perspective on basketball changed after sort of seeing up close, you know, how these players come about. Um, I mean, if, if you had kids, I'm assuming you don't have kids. You have no, kids. I don't. No, you don't no, have kids. No, but no, if you no, had kids, yeah. would you let them play professional basketball and pursue some of the things that the kids in the movie did? Um, yeah, because I, I know what to look out for. But um, it's... Um, I became very pro NBA players association okay. after this film, uh, just because of the level of exploitation that takes place, um, you know, at, at the highest levels where, you know, there's a message of, um, I mean, maybe, maybe the, the thing that a lot of basketball fans are ignorant to, or we just don't realize that it really is just about dollars and cents. It's just a business at the end of the day, it's about generating money and generating more consumers and generating dollars. Um, however, you know, that's doesn't sell. So what is, what is pumped out kind of from the top levels is that you could be a pro athlete. You could uh, make the NBA. Don't worry about it. Buy the shoes, consume the content, you know, uh, and, and if you don't make the NBA, that's fine because um, the world of basketball just created a bunch more consumers that, that fuel the growth of the game and, and fuel the industry and fuel the profit margins. Um, so once I kind of realized that, it's, it's really hard to see some of the messaging, right? Like I would feel a lot more comfortable if there was more messaging about, hey, you could be a GM or, you know, there's, we're, we have a pilot program where 12-year-old kids are exposed to the business side of it. Like I'd love to see more of that. So you know, we're so programmed to think that these kids who are going through this gauntlet from 10 years old, you know, to the time they're in D1 and get to the pros and they get to the pros and fans and people are saying, these guys are overpaid. This guy's overpaid. And it's like, wow, uh, I hope every player in the NBA is overpaid. I hope the 12th man that sits at the end of the bench that people think are a bum, I hope that guy's making it. $40 million more than he could because I see how impossible it is for these kids to get there in, in what they're going through. So for me, I've become very, uh, you know, supportive of like what the players union stands for and what a lot of these guys like LeBron speak about. Um, you know, so I kind of really connect with, with their messaging because I just think that um, it's next to impossible to get to the, to get to the NBA and when they get there, that should be celebrated and they should be compensated and, and fans shouldn't say they're overpaid at all because, um, you know, the league and all these companies have made money off all the failed stories. There's so many kids that thought they were going to make it who bought into this and, and still fuel the economy of basketball and, and still buy all the products because at a young age, they're told they're going to make the NBA. And it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's complicated. You know, maybe people don't agree with how I see it, but I kind of can't unsee it now. Right, for sure. And you've seen it up close more than most people probably have uh, on the subject. I mean, 
shifting back to sort of the players and sort of the support systems around them, uh, obviously, you know, when we're dealing with teenagers, the support system are their parents and their coaches, and obviously their friends. Uh, in your opinion, like what makes for a successful coach and what makes for a successful basketball parent? You know, I think there's so much hype these days and like take a kid, for example, like Elijah, where, you know, just the day and age that we live in, people are going to be recording his games. People are going to be putting his highlights online. And, and as a parent and a coach, you can't really control that. And you can't control the comments and you can't control people, you know, writing articles about your kid or saying they're going to be the next this or the next that. But I think what you can control is what goes on under your roof, what goes on in your program and, and, and what goes on in your school and, and just keeping the kid uh, level and, and, you know, helping him tune it out. So I think, you know, Elijah's family and, and coach Rowe, I think do a pretty good job of, of keeping him grounded and, and, um, you know, remind reminding him that, that he still has a, a ways to go, but, you know, there's lots of stories of people who kind of get lost in the sauce and, lost in the hype you know there's you know for example there's a guy named Shea Cotton who's in the film who who was kind of the LeBron before LeBron and, and he didn't get to the league and he has a documentary out that kind of talks about the pitfalls or, or buying into the hype or you know there was a really good documentary about Lenny Cook um, so I, I think it's just kind of keeping a kid grounded and, and still reminding them their kid right and and trying to keep their life as normal as possible. But when you become a phenom in, in today's uh, media landscape, it's like there's not really much of a difference between being a high school star now and an NBA star. Yep. Like, or an average NBA player, like, you know, a guy like Jalen Green or even Zion before he, he went to Duke. Like, these guys are kind of like rock stars. So I think it's just trying to, trying to just keep their life as normal as, normal as possible and, and keep the um, – keep the expectations, you know, within range. Like I think it would be, you know, I, I don't think it's the good coaches I see don't tell their kid, Hey, you have it. You're going to make, you're going to make the NBA. You're fine. You don't need to work. Right. Because mm-hmm. in three years that kid might stop growing and everyone else might be bigger, faster, stronger. Right. So I think it's just managing expectations and, and keeping things, keeping things cool. Okay. Other that's, that's a very good answer. Um, so one of the other parts of the film that, you know, that is featured and especially in the series as well, but um, it's sort of the history of basketball. And I think that's something that's really cool because, you know, um, I don't know, I guess Canada basketball, people think the story starts with the NBA coming to Toronto and the NBA coming to Vancouver and, you know, okay, yeah, now we're Vince, NBA champions. Vince Carter. Yeah. Vince Carter, yeah. Vince it's Carter like- came down and, and <laughs> threw some thunder and lightning and, and then it all happened. Yeah, exactly. Um but there's like a there's the there's the real um, history of basketball in Canada, especially basketball in Toronto, and you know that's something that I I thought was really cool to hear from guys like you know um, Phil Dixon and Jamal McGlure and uh, Colin Charles, and you know you hear these stories about you know what Eastern Commerce uh, meant to the city. People probably know the school, but people don't know the stories, um, the specific people, and now the school has actually been um, shut down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that, you know, you, you did a really good job in terms of just that, that history of basketball in Canada and, and really highlighting it. Um, uh, was there a story, you know, in particular about, 
um, one of those guys that you that you, that you featured in the film yeah, that you, yeah. you thought well, was really cool and you really wanted to talk to yeah. them. Yeah. Well, I will say, um, you know, it, it really all started with the kind of like wave of immigration that, that Canada actually used to have a ban on um, non-Europeans, mm. right? And, and Trudeau kind of, Trudeau Sr. kind of opened that up and, and you had a wave of immigration and people were coming from all different places and you had a lot of people come from um, the Caribbean islands and, and, you know, they talk about in the film how, you know, hockey wasn't the most welcoming culture and, and basketball kind of, you know, became this, this community that, that they built up. But one of my favorite interviews um, was talking to Corey Joseph's dad, David Joseph. And he was telling me about, you know, they would play at George Brown college and, and there was these really legendary runs there. And I guess he was telling me about when, um, when uh, Danny Ainge, I guess, was playing with the Blue Jays right. at the time. Uh, and Danny Ainge used to go to the runs and, and uh, you know, evidently got busted up pretty bad by, by some of the guys in the, in the gym there, which um, I love because I dislike Danny Ainge. He's <laughs> a diehard Laker fan and, and just, you know, he has, uh, he has one of those kind of faces that, that you know, not a very likable kind of looking mug. So that, that brought me a lot of joy to hear that Danny Ainge got busted up there, but also I think speaks to the evolution of basketball in Canada and, and kind of what I got from these forefathers was that there was always so much talent in Canada, you know, and, and I think people know about Phil Dixon and, and people, you know, after Phil, you know, there was some really good teams at Runnymede and, you know, Leo Routens kind of was a West Toronto guy. Um, but it just obviously, you know, you start to see it with the commerce era and, and Jamal and, and Colin, but um, you know, with, with the development of technology and exposure, finally this talent has, has been seen. And, and now, you know, we're Toronto, especially in, in all of Canada, seen as legitimate basketball powerhouse and producing talent. But it was just cool to know that even back then there was, there was a bunch of talent. Right. For sure. And then last question before I let you go, man. Um, can you give us an update on where the five players are now? Are you still in touch with everybody and sort of just, you know, what's going on? With yeah. Them? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, one of the joys of, of getting to, to work in documentary film is, is forging these friendships and relationships with, with people from all different walks of life. So um, it's been really cool also seeing the kids develop both on the court and off it. Um, so I guess I'll start with the youngest Elijah Fisher, I think most kind of people in the basketball circles know um, what he's up to. I mean, his various division, high major division one offers. And um, I think a lot of people see the highlight reels of him, but, you know, he has a pretty complete game. So it's just been crazy to, to meet him at 12. And then just, you know, every so often something pops up on my social media feed and he's like jumping over someone or, you know, doing a between the legs in a game. And you're just like, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's right. crazy to see. Um, and then the three kids from King nation, Jalen Celestine committed to Cal. So PAC 12 high major. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, everything's kind of on hold with this COVID stuff. Uh, Malachi was, uh, one of the other kids from King nation. He's going to Brown Ivy league school, oh. um, which is just, I mean, super impressive. And then, um, Keon, um, you know, Keon kind of had, you know, and I think he'll tell you this if you talk to him. I mean, I, I think his story kind of represents some of the pitfalls 
of, of youth basketball. And, um, you know, at, at one time, I think Keon was kind of the, the primetime guy in the program and, you know, kind of some of the things we talked about, some of those other factors kind of impacted his, his basketball uh, future or career at the high school level. But, um, you know, other than that, he's still local. He's doing great. And I think he's hoping to play at, at like a Humber college or, or junior college level. And then Cordell had a very interesting story where he got a division one scholarship to a uh, Florida, Florida international, which is like a, uh, where, um, what's his name went there? Uh, Raja Bell, I think. And I think Carlos Arroyo was and Carlos Arroyo went there too. Yeah. So right. he played there for a couple of yeah. years and then, um, came back and, and now he's at Carlton who just won the national title. Wow. Um, but all of them are, are you know, uh, I'm excited to see what they do after basketball. Right, for sure. And that's and that's one of the questions the thing leaves you with too. It's like what is that could be a very interesting documentary too. What is life after basketball? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, one of the most important voices in the film is Damon Stoudemire, mm-hmm. who kinda who who speaks to that, right? And you know, he had a pretty great NBA career and then he was, you know, still a relatively young guy. And he had to make a decision once once the ball stopped dribbling, you know, what, what he was going to do. And I think that's an important question. And I hope it is preached more and more because, like, you know, there's 400 guys in the NBA and you're competing now with the whole world. Right. Like, odds are you're not going to make it. And if you do make it and play ball at a professional level, it might be for, like, three years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot to think about, but I think, um, you know, if you are interested in some of these things, like definitely start by watching True North, uh, both the uh, the feature that's coming out and also the series that has already been out, the nine parts. Um, I mean, you know, if you're a basketball fan like me and you're quarantined and you're thinking about like, man, can I get my hands on some uh, old Raptor tapes, like whatever, like, you know, definitely ex- expand your horizons. I think because I think if you're a fan of basketball too, like it's it's not just the NBA, like don't just be a fan of the the, the, the the players that are the very, very, very top level, like, you know, um, make sure to, to just learn about everything uh, with the game. And I think this is, you know, your document does a really good job of doing that. So where can people watch um, the doc and um, what, what do you want to leave people with? Um, yeah, well, well, actually you could watch the, the 90 minute feature version that we cut will be on uh, Yahoo sports is uh, YouTube. And then um, the series uh, and also the feature versions are available through the NFB platforms and as well as Red Bull TV. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I, I, think I, I spoke my piece and not sure if everyone uh, likes my pro NBA PA stance, but, but that's kind of, it's kind of how I feel about it. And, and I hope people, um, I think I hope people through this documentary uh, are kind of are exposed to how hard it is to get there. And, and, you know, maybe you shouldn't heckle these guys <laughs> or, or say that they're overpaid or this or that. Cause just for them to get there is, is, is amazing for them and their families. So I think that's, uh, you know, for all 400 guys in the NBA, I think like, we should celebrate that because it's, it's just impossible. It's honestly like, next to impossible. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, all right. Thank you, Ryan. For yeah. I appreciate the time, man. Thank and, you so uh, much. Best of luck with everything else, man. Okay. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. Uh, I'm joined today by Vidal Masai, 
founder of the Hoop Factory and executive director of King Nation Basketball. Thanks for your time, Idol. Hey, Will. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so your AAU team, King Nation, is featured very heavily in, in, in True North. Um, you know, first off, how did you feel watching yourself on screen? Do you like the way you were portrayed? Uh, and honestly, did Ryan and his, you know, film crew start to get annoying at times? No, nah, it was great. I actually rewatched the, um, the new edit a couple of days ago and, uh, I thought it came across, you know, very well. Um, probably does a better job of putting the whole story together, you know, in the 90 minute version of it. Um, you know, you know, but overall, like the experience was just great. It never felt, you know, overwhelming or, intrusive where Ryan and crew were invading in our personal space or maybe capturing moments that we weren't comfortable sharing. Um, I'm a pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty open book anyways. I'm, I'm a pretty straight shooter. You know, um, that's how most people would probably, you know, the, um, I'm a pretty direct person. So there was nothing for us to hide as a program or me to hide as a coach. And, uh, I, I think we did an amazing job. Like I said, I think crew, you know, by week two, so after the first week where we kind of got used to the cameras being around, like by week two, week three, um, and for the rest of the project, really, you know, they, they stayed out of the way and you barely noticed them, which, which probably made it a bit more authentic, right? We weren't putting out the camera. Um, so I think we're just lucky. I, 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 you know, I reached out to Ryan yesterday, you know, just kind of to thank him again and um, tell him how blessed I felt our program, you know, was for, you know, being featured and for, being part of something that's probably going to go down as part of, you know, Canadian basketball history. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, you know, I really appreciate it. Just sort of that inside look in terms of um, you see the highs and lows, right. Um, you know, I think you, you see the team's reaction and your reaction, you know, after wins and after losses. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's just very cool. Cause I think obviously, you know, most of, you know, what uh, people listen to this podcast for is, you know, mostly about the Raptors and, you'd never get that kind of level of insight, you know, into like uh, what Nick Nurse's huddle was saying and stuff like that. But just yeah, to see that, yeah. you know, raw emotion and stuff like that was, was very, very cool. So I thought it was very well done. Um, you know, so three of the kids in the program, uh, Jalen Celestine, Malachi Endor, and Keon Davis. Uh, how are those three doing? And are you still in touch with them? Yeah, I, I talked to two of the three. I don't talk to Jalen as much. You know, mm-hmm. there's a bit of, a falling out there and that happens, you know, in AAU, it's just, you know, part of sports, but I'm um, still in contact with Keon, still in contact with, you know, Malachi and uh, they're, they're obviously both at home now, um, you know, just staying safe with Miles, preparing to go to Brown next year on a whole ride um, in the Ivy League and uh, Keon, Keon was with us that year that the film was made and I think he played one more season or half a season with us and then chose to kind of leave the program and, you know, find some more opportunities. So, I mean, he was a bit of a, for lack of a better word, casualty in this whole basketball space where um, I think what really hurt him was, um, you know, as he started off his high school you know, career, he was recruited to a prep school, got there, and the coach never picked him, right? So he really didn't end up having much of a high school career at all, mm. right? So you, know, you go from playing basketball year-round, join our program in the ninth grade, we're invested into you, you know, we have that summer going into the ninth grade, and then Keon hasn't played high school basketball very much since, mm-hmm. right? So that that kind of obviously set him back from a developmental standpoint. Um, you know, just learning the game, right? These kids are young, so they're all still learning 
about you know about the game itself and also about their bodies you know just kind of you know what it takes right so heart of a champion it's a kid that i still like i said i still talk to uh mentor him and be involved for as long as i can but um from a basketball standpoint he chose to go in a different direction after year two and uh, i supported him i said i get it it's a bit of a log jam here at the quick guard spot uh another guard that we had really kind of of you know, improved over the previous year, came back stronger, better, and it's a competitive space. And at, at the time when this was made, too, it's important to note like that was the beginning of our process with this team, right? Right. right. So we're still figuring things out. And, you know, this is a four-year plan, right? So, you know, uh, you know, I think the um, you know the testament to the work that we did and to the job done with that team mm-hmm. would be when you look at it now, right? They're you know, they're graduating now, 2020. We got seven you know, seven scholarship kids, you know, from that team. So really happy about that. Probably one of our, one of our most successful you know, graduating classes. Um, and then with Malachi, you know, just, you know, Malachi kind of made the decision to, um, you know, to ensure that uh, he had a career and he had some type of success after, you know, basketball. And I think Brown, and the Ivy League and the network that, he's going to build there and the skills that he'll develop there are going to definitely you know, set him up for that. So uh, that was kind of a no brainer, just, you know, kind of the best of both worlds, uh, get to play basketball. And you know, he's a kid, you know, as you saw, like brand new into this space. Right. So right. learning about how it works and who people are and different levels of play. Um, yeah. But he's just a great kid to be around great family, you know, got to know that over the past you know, three years and, um, you know, what people may not realize is these are lifetime, you know, lifetime relationships, right? You're, you're meeting these kids when um, they're at the beginning you know, of that process. And, you know, not, not for all of them, but for many of them. And I strive to build real, authentic, strong, you know, connections. Um, you know, this ends up being a lifetime. Right, right. Um, and, and as you mentioned for this class, Congratulations, by the way, uh, for with seven Thank scholarships. You, you know, I, I've, I was doing some research for this, and I found this global TV report that said 68% of King Nation basketball players have received scholarships. Like, what is it in particular that makes your program so successful on this front, and, and how do you raise a number even yeah. higher? I think that's our focus, right? I'm not, you know, like I've, I've got the you know, blessing of having the perspective of being in their shoes, one, and then mm-hmm. being on – you know, being on the tail end of a you know playing career, right? So it's not all basketball for me and for us. Um, I think we have a very strong culture, um, and I think that's you know that's rooted in you know academic you know success and being successful on and off the court, being well rounded, uh, being a young man, not 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 ahead of yourself and thinking you have all the answers you know to the world, right? So. Um, you know, it, it's definitely, it's a team effort. It's not nothing that I can take, um, you know, credit for, you know, just, you know, by myself. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'm very competitive, right? So I want to win. I want to find good talent. Um, I love to compete. I, I, you know, I think this somewhat satisfies my need to be competitive and, you know, no longer physically play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think coaching and, you know, organizing teams and building a program helps to satisfy some of that hunger. But um, I don't know. I mean, if I was to really think about what is what are the keys to our success, I could probably come up with a couple of things, but just as we're just, you know, 
kind of wrapping here. Um, you know, I would say our culture, um, our ability to identify talent at an early age. So we're not constantly chasing talent. I think what we've done has been internal growth and development, which um, from a coaching standpoint is gratifying. I don't want to be chasing talent and just compromising our integrity and our ethics and our morals. So I'm old school. You know, I, I was, you know, came up playing ball in the 90s and it was about, you know, respect and toughness and um, hard work. So those are the things that I understand. Those are the things that help me as a athlete. Um, and those are the things I look for in younger athletes. So um, just having a strong culture, staying focused, not being swayed by, you know, uh, Ryan obviously spoke a ton about the shoe companies and their influence. And um, we never got caught up in that. It's, it's, and again, it's not to say, and I think Mike mentioned it, you know, not to say that we don't want a shoe deal or we wouldn't take one, but I've also had that stuff. And I've lived that life and I've done that. And I've, and I've done all that. There's pros and cons to it, obviously. But um, in terms of the why I'm coaching, why I got involved in youth basketball, the reasons surrounding that are a little different outside of business, right? And, you know, you can definitely mix both worlds and have the best of both worlds where you're in the basketball business, which I very much am. Um, but I handle the basketball as ba basketball and mm -hmm. business as business, right? So, you know, on the basketball court, it is what it is. You got to play, you got to you know, perform, you got to be tough, you got to be focused, you have to be athletic, you have to be skillful. Um, and that's what we focus on. So if you don't bring those things to the table, if you don't embody those things, if you don't want to improve in those areas, then you probably won't last in our program. And I think through that, we've built a pretty strong you know, culture um, and the kids buy into it. I think after the first year or two where they're adapting to maybe a new voice, a new style of play, um, you know, a new value system. We, I think we do value things that other programs may not value as much. Um, and we put a higher price tag on those things in terms of, you know, I mean, coaching is more competitive than playing. People don't recognize that as they're playing, but it is because when you're playing, you know, you, you can kind of set the tone, um, from a personal standpoint in terms of gaining your respect, earning your respect, um, playing a certain style of basketball, diving on the floor, you know, being, you know, Dennis Rodden, or, you know, you can be, you know, Michael Jordan, right? But you don't have to be everything, but you got to excel in one area. Um, you know, so, you know, like I don't, I don't really mince words and mince my feelings in regards to, um, you know, what it takes for young players to get to that level that they're trying to get to. And, you know, that process for us starts early in culturing them uh, in terms of what we expect from them on the court. So, um, you know, there's not really one answer as to why we've had success, you know, but we do value our 12th guy as much as we do our, you know, star player. And if all 12 guys or 10 guys or nine guys are able to move on then um, I think that points more to your ability to help kids than just helping, you know, pick. he's easy to help. He doesn't really need much help, right? People are coming after him. But if you get your ninth, 10th, and 11th guy a look or an opportunity, then, you know, that's our job. And I think that speaks to, um, you know, the level at which we execute and um, how we try to deliver, you know, not on our promises, but, um, you know, on our goals. Right, for sure. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's there's a range right there's there's some players are going to come in that you know they're um naturally driven naturally talented 
physically gifted, genetically gifted, and they're going to be generally speaking. Okay. How do you manage expectations for, um, as you mentioned, some of the guys like the ninth, 10th and 12th guys, um, you know, both, you know, just as a, as a coach, but also sort of as, um, a significant voice in their life because they're so young. It's hard to sort of uh, keep things into perspective, especially because, I mean, they're kids. They got dreams. They got they things they want to yeah. do, right? Like, how do you manage that? You know, I think with athletes, and again, I, I just kind of use my personal experience and kind of, you know, grow and learn from the kids that I work with and I learn from their experience, right? So at the end of the day, if you're asking what do athletes want, they want opportunity and they want to get better. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? So that's kind of what we focus on is can I create an opportunity for you? Can I open up some doors and get you in front of some coaches or share your profile, share your video, but you know, create opportunity and then help you get better, help you read the game better, help you understand you know, the game better, help you with your skills, help you with your mindset. Um, and that's what we focus on. We don't focus on anything that's material. We don't focus too much on their goals per se, especially when, when, when we're first starting up that process. Um, I think I do have a pretty good ability to recognize talent um, and to kind of forecast how that's going to you know, project out, which is a big part of what we do, right? You're working with young talent. So someone who's good today may not be good in three or four years, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, right? Kids grow, kids get bigger, stronger, faster, and basketball is a very athletic game. So, uh, just focusing on the development, I think, on the court and working with the athlete, um, you know, individually and you know, as a team. And then just being authentic, I think, part of what helps us is and helps me is just being authentic. Like, you know, I'm not sharing anything that I haven't gone through or I haven't lived through. Um, and again, I think, you know, sports for me still represents the most authentic space we have in our world. Right. I think we're seeing right. now how much we miss it with the whole, you know, COVID thing. So. Um, just being authentic, like there's no need for me to gas you up and tell you that you're going to the NBA if you're never going to make it there. There's no value in that mm-hmm. for me or for you or for any kind of young person. That's not to crush your dreams, right? I'm not telling kids they can't go to the NBA, but I'm not going to lead with that and say, hey, I can make you an NBA player. Like, I don't make NBA players. Um, I work with athletes and I try to share you know, information and I try to create opportunities. So you know, we don't get in too much discussion about the stuff on the outside or stuff in the you know, peripheral. It's really about, coach, how do I get better? You know, what are the steps? And, um, you know, how do we find more opportunity? And how do you connect with other people, coaches, you know, within the industry? And that's really what it is, right? Coaching at the end of the day, if you're trying to help kids, it's not about me being the end all. It's about me facilitating another relationship at another level, a higher level, that we can now say, hey, here's a very good athlete, an athlete has a very good person, has a very good staff, a very good setup, um, and here's how you continue your career. So that's that's what we focused on. It, it isn't about having the All-Americans or having the she deal. I think those things are byproducts of doing a good job and having an infrastructure. At the end of the day, what I tell people is, if I'm gonna do this and volunteer my time, I've got to be able to sleep at night with a clean heart, with a clean mind. And, and, and that, that touches on the, you know, on the maybe, you know, um, you know, less talked about side, although it's talked about, but just the, um, you know, the underbelly, you know, mm-hmm. or the under the table stuff that happens at times around college basketball. And, you know, we're not about that at all, but what I am about is 
doing things that I love, right? And I'm still involved in basketball because I love it. So when they start to feel like a job where it feels overwhelming, I'll probably exit. And um, it doesn't at this level because you built a culture that isn't about those things. It's about basketball. It's about academics. It's about getting better. It's about your teammate. All the things that sound cliche um, are really the things that I've learned through the sport and the things I try to pass on. So, um, you know, we're just, you know, straight ahead, man. Work. I mean, look, it's, it's, I mean, it's very important to be real, right. In, in all aspects. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were speaking about this a little bit right before the, the recording, but you know, for these kids, like, you know, at such a young age, talking about teenagers and they're obviously so impressionable, uh, but at the same time, you know, they're dealing with so many people in their ears, whether it's coaches, you know, brands, social media, family, uh, what's what's your advice to them on on how to filter out and sort of keep a perspective on what's real? That's interesting. That's probably one of the first conversations we have, and I think I touched on that with Malachi in the dock when he was at the Biosteel game. I was like, hey, you get all these people that are going to start coming at you now, and how do you filter that, right? So it's something that we speak about quite often, very early, is that the one of the bigger challenges for the modern day youth athlete or just younger athlete in general, um, you know, there's definitely more awareness, you know, around their personal brands and their personal skill sets, obviously, you know, like a Zion, a Zion, a RJ, a, you know, Jalen Green was actually in the dock. Um, it's the team that we lost to. He was on the team that we lost to by two, uh, Team Truth, uh, about Paul Pierce. So, um, but all these kids obviously have more opportunity Mm-hmm. and a bigger platform to get their name out there. But I think with that, you know, their biggest challenge is to, you know, discern. You know, there's so much coming at them, whether it be through social media platforms, through direct messaging, through whatever it is. Um, and they're accessible for the most part, right? Because you know, there's no longer a need for that, you know, personal connection. It could just be through, you know, the internet, right? So, and we've seen that kids are being contacted by agents, by, you know, recruiters, by runners. So how do you sort through that? Um, I think that's where you got to build a team, um, you, know, with, you know, with your parents, you know, with your coaches, with the people that you really trust and have someone kind of help guide you through that process. So um, that's a large part of probably what I do for the program for the kids that are getting scholarships, but it really is on them, you know, and I'm not the type, and this happens in the AAU all the time, you have these gatekeepers who really keep people away and at bay. Um, but to the point where the kid doesn't grow and develop those skills that we're talking about, right? So I'm more like, hey, here's some strategies. Here are some things to consider. But you've got to be able to filter this stuff. And you know, maybe at first it's bringing it back to me or your mom or your circle and having us give you feedback on what's happening or what's being said. But that is a real modern-day challenge is how do you discern all that's coming to you as a young athlete, right? So there's nothing, there's no secret sauce that we have. There's nothing that, that we're doing in particular that's different than anybody else. Outside of having that conversation very, very early. And it's funny because um, I always share a story that, that goes with that um, little tidbit. And it, it was, I bumped into a very old, not very old, an older man who worked in uh, boxing way back when boxing was like, you know, the major North American sport. Um, this was, you know, I don't know what year this was, but he was a black man. He was one of the first black agents in boxing. Um, and he, he had met me at a subway 
um, just grabbing some lunch with two other athletes that he can tell were, you know, basketball players, two, six, nine, six, ten at the time. Um, and he just asked to sit down and have lunch with us and started just talking about sports and life. And, and it was that point where he shared, he's like, guys, guess what, man? I've, I've been in sports my entire life. I've done this thing at a high level. Here's the challenge. You guys are in a unique time and place where you are, you're, you're just overloaded with information. Um, and you're a commodity and people are going to come after you. So now how do you, you know, karate chop <laughs> and, you know, kick out the people who don't need to, you know, be around you, you know, so to speak. But at the same time, like you're a kid and you don't want to be boxed in from the outside world and not learn how to, you know, be, you know, street smart or how to navigate people who are you know coming towards you or at you with, you know, proposals and ideas. And so, you know, that, that, that in itself is its own probably, I'm sure that, you know, the MBA does a pretty big job with the rookie transition program. And that's a lot of it is transitioning them into a world where, Hey, everyone knows your salary. Everyone knows that you have money, you have this, you got that, and you're trying to gain access and you have to be smart about it. So, you know, it, it's just one of the modern day challenges of a young athlete. And it's something that they have to learn to deal with, um, you know, sooner than later. Right. For sure. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of change on the NCAA side. And I think it's just not even change on the NCAA side because they kind of change reluctantly with everything. But, um, you know, with the NBA now introducing this program where, you know, some prospects can go straight from high school to the G League for a year and develop there. Uh, you know, Jalen Green, as we talked about before, uh, he just signed, I think, for half a mil um, to join the G League for a year. Um, does this sort of, I mean, what are your thoughts on this in general? And just does this change sort of perspective for you in terms of what you're going with the program and things like that? No, I mean, as a former athlete, I, mean, I spent, what, eight years playing professionally. And, um, you know, by that time, you start having the mindset of an athlete. You start you know, respecting the grind and the, you know, the journey of an athlete, right? So I think part of that is understanding that it's a business I've learned that years ago. Like this is a business; it's always been a business. As as an athlete, you may not feel like that right away that you're part of a business, and that's fine. You should, especially as a kid, you don't have to feel like you're doing business. You can be a kid and enjoy the game, and you know yada yada yada. But as you get closer to where it's more professionalized, and obviously, yeah, right, it's 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 a real business. You're getting a paycheck, and you're you're under contract, and you know yada yada yada. But um, you know. I'm all for the athlete, man. I'm pro-athlete. I think part of our program, um, a big thing that we sell is, as we you know, try to recruit talent is we're athlete-centric, uh, even before the program, you know, so to speak. So it's what's the best, what's in the best interest of the athlete, not the coach, not the admin, not anybody. And the reason being is at this level, we're volunteers, mm-hmm. right? So if our you know, if our needs and our goals and you know, desires start, you know, taking the forefront, um, then we're in trouble, right? So really everything we do is centered around the athlete. And I think that's because when I started the program, um, I wanted to be, you know, for athletes and about athletes. And I wanted to be, you know, an authentic representation of, you know, what it would be like to chase that dream. Um, you know, so, you know, in terms of how I feel about amateurism and, kids are going pro and I think that's kind of where you're you know, leading towards. Um, I think, you know, I, I think the NCAA has done a 
masterful job of creating a model and a system that benefited them that benefited them for hundreds of years right and i think as technology has evolved and i think as social media platforms have evolved and i think as the globe and the world has kind of shrunk mm-hmm. in a sense we're all connected that we all share information i think athletes are just more aware that hey this isn't quite right and as they have become more aware, I think so has the general audience and public. We're like, hey, this, that doesn't quite make sense. That 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 isn't right. That isn't how uh, you know talent in any field or industry or space is normally treated. If you're an artist mm-hmm. and you're world class at 12 years old, guess what? You can sell your art for millions. If you're a if you play an instrument, if you play the piano, or you do the violin, whatever it is, right? If you play tennis, if you play soccer there's other sports that don't have this model where they control the talent so you know so that's that's out there so that jigs up right in terms of the kids you know pursuing you know the bag and taking the money i got nothing against that i mean if my kids were ever in that position you know that's a critical decision but um you know the only thing that kind of worries me a little bit like I, i don't care about the ncaa losing talent like they'll be fine college basketball uh, for anyone who thinks that it's going anywhere, it isn't going anywhere. College basketball is going to be fine, right? The, it, it may be better in the long term to not have players that just stay for a year or so, right? Which it, it's it's great. It's you know those teams have proven to be winners. You know the Dukes and the Kentuckys. Like the one and done strategy does work, but I don't think fans of college basketball, and I'm a fan of college basketball. I'm not wrapped up in seeing the superstar per se. It's more about the team at the college level. At the NBA level, I would argue that it's more about the individual and the superstar, not so much the team, right? So college basketball will be fine. I think they have to change their, you know, their business model and their practices and figure out a way to compensate young athletes. And, and they opened up something yesterday where now guys have uh, the rights to their likeness and their image, which is absurd. But, you know, here it's absurd are. that that wasn't already <laughs> it, the case. It, it's absurd, right? Um, and you know, and that's you know, I think that's kind of the first domino to fall, mm. and them losing you know control over athletes, right? So, you know, but in terms of guys going pro or guys you know seeking to play you know professional earlier on in their you know careers, I'm fine with it. Like I said, if you have the talent or the potential or the ability to to work in a professional space, I mean. There's child, you know, there's child actors. You know, my kid's an actor. He's, you know, he's 13. He's been acting since he was like five. Like, mm-hmm. there's no, hey, why is he acting? That's not fair. He can't be yeah. on TV. Can't be like, no, like it's it's it's. He has the ability, mm-hmm. and, and we talk about this all the time when he wants to be a kid in every sense. Like, hey, man, like you're trying to balance this professional world and you know career, at the same time be a kid. And it's important that, you know, for him, at least in our conversations, that he doesn't try to use being a kid sometimes as a cop belt mm-hmm. because you've shown so much more, you've handled so much more, right? So, you know, there's no, you know, there's no limiting, um, you know, people's potential and people's earning power. And I, I think the world's turning towards a completely open market where it's, you know, direct to consumer. I've got a product that you like, idea that you like, a skill set that you like, I can sell directly to you. Yep. Um, and make a living that way. And that's where the economy, you know, has gone and that's where things have shifted. So it's a matter of time before they catch up. It's sad that they're so late, but I think the G League thing is probably, you know, probably a temporary solution. 
mm. um, or a, you know, kind of filling a gap. Because I think for the NBA, I think what they want to do eventually is go back to you know, what it was like at a couple of points in time where it was, hey, high school to the NBA. Yeah. You know, why are you kind of playing around with this, um, you know, this middle piece, you know, and that's, so I think that's going to happen in a couple of years. And I think rightfully so. Right, right, right. Um, all right. Now, back to you, actually. I'm not trying to make you feel old at all, but, uh, you know, you've, nah, been, nah, all good. you've been through this as a player and as a coach and you've seen both sides. Um, you know, can you explain how your experience coming up uh, as a teenager in the GTA in the 90s differs to the process of what you see with your kids now? Like, it must uh, be night and day, man. Totally. totally. I, I think there was one moment. It's, it's night and day. And I think there was one moment where I got emotional. And it's because it just kind of, you know, I just kind of, um, when I'm very competitive, I have a huge heart. You know, the kids know that. As, as tough as I am on the exterior, um, once you really get to know me and we got a really good connection, um, you know, like I'll cry, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll get so worked up and so um, you know, emotional, you know, but trying to contain that, um, you know, but there was a moment in the doc where I think I shared it with the guys, like, hey, just thinking back, like no one did this for me. Man. Like no one spent all these, you know, months and weeks and all this time putting this together and raising funds and you know, no one's ever done that, right? Um, and I think sometimes kids right now are spoiled with opportunity. There's so much opportunity where they can be spoiled by it and not recognize who's genuine and maybe what's best for them, right? They're always kind of seeking more. Hmm. Um, so very different in the sense of like way more competitive, way more teams, more pathways or same pathway, more providers is probably a better way to say it. Um, Kids are definitely, you know, there's more skill at a younger age. I think it's grown at the youth level more than any other level. Um, I, I do think high school's fallen off quite a bit. High school's not the same. High school in the 90s, we had strong high school basketball, you know, when I was coming up. Um, but I think, the, you know, the biggest thing that's changed uh, in a positive way um, is the belief. And I think Colin Charles talked about that. Colin Charles gave me belief, right? Colin Charles lived in the building right next to my, you know, downtown. And I had no goals. I had no you know, direction, you know, so to speak. I was just a kid. And seeing him make it and, and seeing him earn a scholarship at St. John's kind of gave me belief that I can do it. But like he mentioned, that's kind of where the dreaming stopped. It was like, let me get to college and better myself. And right, right, right. That was it. Where nowadays, now the kids are dreaming of being NBA players and I'll tell you what's even better. I have kids who are coming to me who are in our program where I have people outside of our program who are emailing or calling in and looking for opportunities to be GMs and mm. to be sports agents and to be physical therapists or trainers. So it's grown in every sense of the word. It's not just you know with athletes, but uh, just with the general interest and, and people also seeing that there's opportunities, not just on the court, well, you can be involved in sports in a number of ways and build a career. So that's been very pleasant to see. I think that's a huge positive, but you know, it's just, it's just different. It's, it's, it's evolved. I'm not one to go back and say my time was better. I see these things all the time on Twitter mm -hmm. or on Facebook. People are arguing or, you know, not arguing. It's, you know, having basketball debates and, you know, conversation, but I'm not one to compare eras. Who's better. Who's this, who's that. Um, I did my thing, you know, when I played, I had my level of success. Um, not, none of this for me was planned. I never planned on 
playing basketball in college outside of setting a goal to get a scholarship. But it wasn't like a, a childhood dream. I saw myself on the stage and I saw myself making the shot. Like there was none of that. <laughs> this was like, shit, okay, I just moved uh-huh. for like the fourth time. And now in this neighborhood, they're all playing basketball. So I guess I'll start playing basketball, right? And you know, I played rugby. I played volleyball. I played football. I ran track. I did. Kids mm-hmm. nowadays aren't doing those things. That's it's right. very specialized. It's very specialized very yeah. early, right? So, I mean, again, this doesn't take away from better, worse. You know, it's different you know, day and age. I'm very thankful for my time um, where I played Toronto and ba- where I played basketball in Toronto and growing up. Um, and the games did a lot for me. The games built a lifestyle that I enjoy now and it's created opportunity. It's, um, I, I owe a large part of my life to basketball. So, I mean, nothing bad to say things have changed. I think we're in a better space now. Still have a lot of work to do. I think we have to govern our game a lot better. We have very little governments across the country, you know, with our game, unfortunately. Um, I think we have to develop more coaches. I think we have a huge coaching pool that we're, we're not yet tapping into. And part of that is coaching has to, be, has to be professionalized at some point. Coaches aren't looked at as professionals, unfortunately. Um, and that has to change. So there, there's so many areas where we can still improve that will impact, um, you know, the on-court game. Because um, if you have better coaches, if you have better athletes, if you have better teams, right? So, um, you know, the ecosystem is it's, it's, it's definitely developed a lot more than it was back, you know, when I played. But still lots of gaps to fill in over the next, you know, if it takes 20, 30, 40 years. But uh, we've emerged so much as a basketball nation, you know, in the globe. And, um, it's, been, it's been great to be part of that and kind of a front row seat. And whatever small part I've played on that and, you know, or in that, I should say, that, you know, great. Right, for sure. Um, you mentioned, you, you talked about Colin. Uh, look, I think everyone from Toronto should already know about Eastern Commerce. Um, and of course, oh, you know, you're one of the most famous graduates, um, for the people who don't know, obviously now Eastern's been shut down, unfortunately, uh, what did Eastern mean to the game of basketball in Canada and, and to you specifically? You know what? It's sad. It's, it's, it's so sad that this has happened and that, you know, we haven't developed, but again, this is where we need to grow. Right? We've had a great job with, developing programs and leagues and working with talent and prep schools and, you know, the whole nine, right? And where we haven't done enough work is, like, capsulating, you know, these entities or these institutions or, or stats or stories, right? So that we start to build out our culture in basketball. I think culturally is where we have the most work to do. Right, because Eastern Eastern needs to be a case study, or you know, it needs to be in every basketball textbook, you know, whatever uh, <laughs> that ever comes out about basketball in Canada. Um, you know, it's just it's just a, such a unique building, such a unique opportunity, unique um, time in history. You know, it's obviously it's closed now, so it's not something that's that lasted forever. Um, but what we're able to do at Eastern, I played a very small part in that. You know, I mean, more you learn about Eastern, it's a fraternity, it's a brotherhood. Um, probably the, I can't say the biggest, but at the same time, when I talk about lack of stories, lack of connection, lack of culture, there aren't many basketball fraternities in Canada because of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, and I'm proud to say that I'm part of the Eastern Commerce fraternity. Like, we're, it's real. Like, we're connected at the hip. 
we understand a lot of the same things. We, you know, we, we've been through the hallways in that building. We understand our gymnasium. We understand our locker room, our pool. We understand that, you know, that represented for us the biggest opportunity at the time in our lives, which is right. facts. Right. Everyone that showed up there was needed an opportunity. Um, you know, for the nine times out of 10, weren't in a very good situation with their home life. Um, or, you know, what, what, what the life looked like after high school for most of us, there probably wasn't uh, a clear path, right? So you got a bunch of hungry people in one school. Um, and then it's just, just they were just, they were just so uh, under-resourced, right? There were just no resources and, um, you know, but, you know, just in terms of what you got from a basketball standpoint, what you got in terms of love, care, attention, genuine, authentic people. Uh, those things are hard to come by, man. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, Mrs. Khan, who, you know, if not for her, you know, you, there may not be a Jamal McGlure. There, there may not be a Colin Charles or, you know, Vidal Messiah. Um, you know, she was our academic, you know, advisor, and she was with us every step of the way and played a huge role in um, so many of us moving on and being qualified for a scholarship, mm. right? But, you know, I mean, it, it gave me, um, it gave me the structure, mm-hmm. the discipline, um, the confidence, the toughness. It, it just gave me so much. Um, and, it, and then it gave me friendships. It gave me, you know, relationships that last a lifetime. When you're done playing basketball, I tell my guys all, you know, all the time, all you're going to have is your relationships. If you spend your whole life in athletics, by the time you're done, you've got relationships. You obviously have experiences and, and you've gained. Um, but, you know, from a tangible standpoint, all mm. you may have is that person you can pick up the phone you know, and reach out to that has maybe moved on now from basketball or another, you know, phase of, phase of their life. And maybe they can help you, you know, with yours, right? But, um, yeah, I, I was prepared for college coming out of Eastern. That Prepared from the standpoint of expectations, you know, not not where my skills were ready because they weren't. I had a lot, a lot of work to, to to do with my with my jump shot. A lot of work to do with just playing, you know, without the ball. Those are things that I think um, happen when you're you know when you're the best player on your team and you're the best player all the way through. Mm. May develop some bad habits, right? So there's probably some things that um, hurt me or slowed me down in that respect. But from a structural standpoint, from a understanding, from a conditioning, um, knowing what college basketball would look like in terms of scheduling, you know, six weeks of preseason. You know, my, my first year in college, that for me is where I separated myself in preseason. But I was used to doing preseasons because we did that at Eastern. We did it like a college practice. We, we, didn't, you know, we didn't do a high school preseason. We did a college professional level preseason, right? So those type of things really helped me. But um, and just all the people coming out of that building, all the people that you'd meet on Thursday night, these became your mentors. These became your influencers. These became guys that had been through it. These have been the guys that you're hearing about, you know, in the documentary that dominated 20, 30 years ago. And these guys would come through. These guys would be in the building. And uh, that's how you share. That's how you grow. Um, and I think the big part of being a, a successful player is being in the building, mm-hmm. right? And then absorbing kind of what that's like. And 
um, you know, what that entails, right? And, 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 that's, and that's why, you know, the NBA wants young talent, right? There is a learning curve. Um, but once you settle in and you're comfortable, you know, then and your confidence, you know, is at another level because, you know, you know you belong here, right? Because there's a rite of passage. You can't just kind of come to Eastern and, you know, with your nose up in the air and think you're going to just you know, get on the court. If no one knows you, if you don't got some real game, if you haven't built a profile you know, for yourself, then you probably won't even touch the court. Right. Yeah, and man, um, you know, when you talk about lack of resources and the fact that a school like that can even go down, I mean, that's one factor. But it's also, you know, I watched the the, the other documentary that, that, that you were talk, probably talking about just about the, uh, the last season at, at Eastern. Um, and... Yeah, like, you know, the changing demographics of Toronto, I think, also kind of factors into it, right? Because, I mean, I live in Toronto. Yeah. Our rent, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's pretty much impossible to yeah, buy in Toronto's the city. Nuts. Toronto's crazy. And yeah, when you see, nuts. like, in recent years, obviously there's been an explosion of uh, basketball talent from Canada, from GTA area. But when you see it, it is conspicuous, and it's not an accident that, like, less and less of these players are from Toronto they're from Mississauga, they're from Brampton, yeah. they're from Ajax, they're from Milton, they're from wherever, yeah. right? Um, and it's because the city itself, it's kind of, it's kind of eating itself, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I think, I mean, we've, we've really uh, grown a lot in the East, more mm. so than any other you know, region. And I think it's because of you know, what you're saying, right? It's, it's, you know, I think what happened is back in the day, if you were, in it, you know, if you were new to Canada and you were, um, uh, you know, if you came through immigration, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe you lived, you know, downtown um, and maybe it was a bit more affordable or right. maybe there was a specific community that you belonged to that was yeah. a fixture in a certain part of the city, right? And those things were happening a lot back then. But I think as the cities become gentrified um, and it's all about the condo and it's all about the property value, it's all about you know, the big box store and it's all about, you know, it's, 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 it's all about money. Yeah. Right. Then I think, yeah, I think families and immigrants with young families have been forced to look outside, you know, the downtown core, look outside the city, move to the suburbs. And now that's where you're finding younger kids. There's a lot less younger kids playing basketball in Toronto Mm. nowadays compared to, you know, when I played. Right. So, um, I think it's a sign of the times, right? And hopefully that, that doesn't hurt our game because I think a big part of why we've been successful is our diversity. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is the fact that we're a melting pot, probably the most diverse city, probably in the world. You know, I think Sydney, Australia is pretty diverse as well. But, you know, one of the, you know, definitely top two or three in terms of diversity in the whole world. Um, and I think that gives us an advantage from, you know, from a, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, gene pool, you got people from, I think Ryan touched on this and I spent, I spent a lot of time with him sharing my views on this, right? But you got the perfect storm. Like you got people from yeah, you know, the continent, you know, of Africa, you got Eastern Europeans, you've got people from South America, you know, from the you know, Caribbean, you got um, people from Asia. You know, we had a big 7-3 kid you know, from our program this year who graduated. <laughs> Zach Eddy, Zach Zach seven foot three. Toronto. Yep. Zach okay. seven foot three. Asian yeah. mother, a uh, wow. white Canadian, you know, father. But again, like, how do those two meet, right? And they yeah. meet, and then you produce this, you know, you produce a genetic beast, right? So I mean, you know, and you see it, right? You see Andre DeGrasse playing mm-hmm. ball, not doing track, 
yeah. but having world-class talent, all of a sudden, the right coach recognizes that and you're world-class, right? So from a genetic standpoint, you know, from, a, you know, from the pool of talent that we have to draw from, it's one of our biggest advantages. I'm hoping that as the city becomes gentrified, that doesn't take away from that, you know, if yeah. that makes sense, right? So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely happening, you know, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, you know, lastly, uh, how can people support grassroots level basketball? You know, I think there's probably just from my experience or from what I've researched, like it feels like there's more of an infrastructure in place in places like the States where you can really support, um, you know, basketball at, you know, a high school and just uh, before college and university and, and, and professional level, like how does that happen in Canada? Is there a way to make that happen in Canada? Um, and is there just yeah, a way so. to get, get people to appreciate it more? You know, like one of the things was, I've always been a huge basketball fan. I graduated from MCI uh, on the West side, Martin Grove. Mm-hmm. And the couple of years I was there, they won like the city championship. I think they went to Offset. Yeah. They produced, um, maybe, you know, Matthew Wright. He went to St. Bonaventure as well. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So that was the same yeah. time I was there. And I was like, yeah. I can't believe that even me as a huge basketball fan, and I was that I literally in the same building. I wasn't even necessarily focusing and trying to support grassroots basketball level at that level. So how does that happen? Yeah, you know what? I think it takes time. It's going to take a lot more time, you know, okay. unfortunately. Um, but, and I feel the same way. You know, like I think athletes, uh, you know, are so underappreciated at times. And the, the sacrifice and the dedication, you know, that it takes to be high level those skills transcend, you know, into any other space, right? So, I mean, being part of a team, striving um, to reach certain heights as a, as a youth athlete, you know, I think help you with your overall life. I think they set you up and um, hopefully you build your character and, and you're able to build some good habits, you know, through sport. Um, you know, but in terms of like the casual viewer fan getting involved, um, again, I think that's one of the, our biggest gaps is finding a way to, you know, because I think it's it's in large part it's it's cultural, right? So you know, culturally, you know, hockey's ingrained. Hockey is, right, right. You know, um, you know, but what basketball? I think is slowly but surely going to take over the world. You know, I think bas- basketball and soccer are going to be the two global sports that you know anyone can play. And, and uh, anyone can play by yourself. You can play, you know, two on two, three on three. It's just kind of yeah. like soccer, right? It's kind of the, oh, yeah. kind of the, um, you just need a ball and a wall or a ball <laughs> in your feet, right? So <laughs> that was my um, favorite childhood activity was literally kicking the ball on a wall. <laughs> just, just kick the ball, man, right? So, yeah. um, you know, but we have a long way to go in terms of building those stories and, you know, having those stats and having those numbers to, 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 to support the story. Because the stories are all case studies. They're all um, proof of concept. They're all reasons why this is a good game to get involved in, right? So, yeah, so right now the Raptors win the championship. That's great for a game, yeah. right? That, that's that, that, that's going to attract so many casual viewers and uh, people that may have, have had no interest in basketball a year ago. Maybe now I want to dig into it because it's cool or it's hip or it's the point of conversation, right? So... And I think that's how the NBA works. That's how basketball works. It's it's really about being significant enough to attract the attention of someone who's casual. And then by the time they tune into it, 
making it so entertaining where they don't want to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, but from a community standpoint, in terms of what we need to do, I think we need to continue to connect, have more roundtable meetings, have more open dialogue. I think right now the market, it's not as competitive when I say that. It's, it's very competitive. But it's, not, it's, not in the comp, it's not in the competitive stage, you know, so to speak, where you had everyone grabbing real estate and fighting for real estate. You kind of got you know, four or five programs, three or four programs that's carved out a good niche. Mm. We're doing good work. Um, and those are kind of staples in the community somewhat. Right? I'm sure there'll be an upstart, upstart program, same way we started at one point where everyone kind of looked at us like, what are they going to do? They're brand new, right? But mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of felt like the timing was still okay to gain some traction. I think now we're one of the market you know, leaders. Um, you know, but it's, it's going to take the, you know, the, the leaders sitting down and really creating a vision um, of what we want our game to represent um, and how we grow the business, right? And without connecting, I think that's where we're going to struggle, right? Because there's, there's you know, there's strength in numbers, um, right? And the proof and concept isn't just within our program or CIA Balance or Grassroots or Uplay. You know, the, the, the proof and concept is, is, is things happening and working from our market, mm-hmm. just in general. It doesn't have to be my program versus your program. So it's going to take the leaders to get together to, um, you know, to share ideas, you know, to brainstorm and figure out how we position grassroots basketball, um, you know, uh, you know, in a way where corporate Canada or you know, I think that's kind of the missing piece as well is getting corporations and, and mm-hmm. getting money and getting, you know, getting some blood, you know, so to speak um, into the system so people can function and, you know, I, I think, you know, for us, if we didn't have the sponsorship package and setup that we have, we couldn't function, right? So it does take a lot of money. Um, it does take support. Um, and it takes and it takes people and it takes, you know, people buying in, right? So you know, it's, it's not one thing that we need to do. It's not an easy, straightforward answer. Um, but it, it, it definitely starts with, in my opinion, coming together, mm-hmm. recognizing the issues, because we all face the same issues and challenges, and then coming up with a strategy um, you know, to best attack it. Right, for sure. All right, Vidal, thank you. You've given us so much of your time. I really appreciate you good, joining man. us, man. Um, like I said, you know, this this podcast mostly focuses on the Raptors and things like that and NBA basketball. But I think, yeah, especially during this time of, like, you know, the shutdown and everything like that, like, expand your horizons. If you love basketball, like, there's more basketball yeah. than to the Raptors or NBA, you know, um, I would also add to that, you know, just, you know, for your you know, subscribers and for your viewers, you know, the thing that's pretty unique about basketball as well, where what you're saying is really important is, you know, Raptor fans. Okay, great. Great example. Let's use the Raptors. Well, Shea Brissett was part of, our, you know, part of our program for two years. You know, I coached him wow. when he was younger for two years, right? Uh, three years later, he's in the NBA, you know, four years later. So the degree of separation um, in terms of people and time in a sport like basketball is so thin where here baby come on where it kind of <laughs> just makes sense to uh daughter just woke up from her nap all right right it sort of just makes sense to ingrain yourself um at every level because look at Jalen green right? again mm. go back and watch when we lose the team truth paul pierce is their coach he's like this phenom i think he gave us 35 that game but we lose by two 
And at that point, I was like, all right, that's probably the best player we've seen in this class. I've seen a lot of the guys. I've read. I've watched highlights. I've seen some in person. And at that point, we kind of determined that Jalen Green is probably the best prospect, right? This was three years ago. Right. Right. You fast forward three years, and he's going to the pros, right? So, you know, again, you're, you know, you can be more in the know if you're a fan or if you're someone like to talk about basketball at every level or at the pro level even, um, knowing some of these emerging stars and be more aware of them. Um, not to say it's important, but they're definitely part of your world or are going to be part of your world if you're a fan sooner than later. Right. right? So, I mean, you know, we all connect with people uh, more effectively if we know them and know their story and have a better understanding of you know, where they came from. So, um, yeah, it, the kids, you know, the kids that are making it now is Shea Alexander, uh, you know, and Akil, um, and Anthony Bennett back when he got drafted, you know, this, you know and Andrew Wiggins. Um, all these kids took part in kind of what is explained and, you know, what's um, shown in this documentary. So, yeah, it's definitely worth their time. They'll, they'll, they'll learn a lot. And I think, that, you know, what Ryan and crew did, you know, with this piece that also makes it even better is it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it not, is. It's not boring, right? It's not some story about you know some kids playing basketball that have you know no potential. Jalen, Jalen, you know, Celeste is going to the Pac-12. Nas going to the Ivy League. You know, uh, you know, like you know, Fisher is going to play at any school you know in the world, right? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're you're getting a chance to tap in really early to see young and emerging talent, and it's homegrown, man. It's you know Canadian, so I think it's 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 definitely time. I think part of what's evolved and part of what's changed is, you know, it's time to kind of stick our chest out just a little bit and, yeah. and, and be proud and not be boastful, but as Canadians, we're very reserved. And this whole commercial Canada basketball put out, what, two, three years ago, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was all about being sorry for being great, right? Corny, so man. we have greatness <laughs> in our city. Yeah, yeah, you know, but that's, that's you know, you know, the culture, right? So exactly, that's true. Um, yeah, it's, it's worth. It's definitely worth your time. It's worth checking out. Uh, he's watched it. All right, our boys are gonna check it out eventually, and I'm just glad I was you know, able to be a part of it, man. All right, cool. All right, your your your, your kids telling me the interview is over. So right <laughs> now, I, <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, thanks oh, for your God. time. All right, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.